Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Blaschenberg, and I am your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're releasing one of my favorite and really, I think, important podcasts. It is talking about having a baby after the age of 35. It's really important to me and very personal to me because I had my first child when I was 37 and my second when I was 40. And I hated being called a geriatric pregnancy. I didn't like the pressure that I felt around me about getting pregnant and kind of the the looks and conversation about pregnancy at that age. And I know a lot of the students I work with are surrounding 35 or well past 35. And I want just to talk about that and demystify this conversation and take some of the fear away from having a baby a little older. So to have this conversation, I have maternal fetal medicine specialist, Shannon Clark. Shannon shoots straight from the hip and offers the facts and busting the myths about birthing later in life. And we also talk about being labeled. Oh, that conversation of geriatric pregnancy. It makes me think like those over 35 like need a walker to, to move themselves around. Ah, it drives me crazy. Anyways, I'm, I think you're going to very much enjoy this conversation. Before we get to that, just a reminder of some of the amazing things happening at Prenatal Yoga Center right now. So classes are starting to be in person, some of them, but because things have grown so much in this last year and a half, we're continuing online classes every single day. So you can join us live stream every single day. That is our commitment to you. Even though classes are going back in the studio, we're still going to support our online community. And then also a reminder, if you haven't signed up for our newsletter and you want to grab our giveaway, the five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains, go to our website and grab that. It can give you like a little cheat sheet between classes when maybe you have a little ache and pain and you can't, you don't have time for a whole class. Go ahead and grab that. That will absolutely help you. And then we have had some wonderful ratings and reviews recently, and it's really, really touching when people write how this podcast supports them. I read it. I get teared up. It means so much to me that people are doing that. So if you haven't done that, please take a moment and do so. All right. Last two things I want to talk about. Teacher training. We have two more online for 2021. And I have to tell you, I'm not sure about 2022. I think maybe we'll do a winter online or maybe we'll do in person. Things are kind of up in the air, so I don't know. So those that are teachers interested in the PYC methodology, keep an eye on our website because I'm not quite sure what's going to happen with 2022. I don't think anyone's quite sure what exactly is going to happen in 2022. And then a last little announcement to make. We have started to partner with Boober. (laughs) Don't you love that name? So the founder and I, um, Judge Shapiro, she and I have known each other for almost 20 years. And Boober is a place that you can get lactation support, find a birth doula, a mental health therapist, postpartum doula classes, and we are working with them now. So go ahead and head to Get 
boober.com. And if you use the code PYC10, you'll get 10% off of their services. All right, that's enough of me. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Shannon. Hi, Shannon. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you. I'm so excited to speak with you. So I found your work by mm-hmm. kind of looking, taking a deep dive through Instagram and, and you know how like one, one thing can lead to another. You keep finding people. And when I saw what you do, babies over 35, that mm-hmm. really resonated with me because I had my babies well over 35 and I was really nervous about that whole 35 year old mm-hmm. thing that so many of us hear about. So when I looked at your website, looked at your social media, I thought, okay, here's someone I need to reach out to. So I know you're incredibly busy. So thank you for taking a little time to speak with me. So I guess let's, um, let's have you just talk a little bit about yourself and your work. Okay. So, uh, I am a, a professor in an academic center. Uh, so I actually did four years of OBGYN residency as a general OBGYN. Then I decided to subspecialize in maternal fetal medicine. So that means, uh, I am a there's multiple things that can be called maternal fetal medicine specialist, perinatologist, high-risk obstetrician are the most popular ones. So basically all my patients are now women with um, uh, maternal and or fetal complications in the pregnancy, which would require uh, additional care. Um, so that's what I do day in and day out. Uh, we cover labor and delivery. Uh, also do research and education as well as being part of an, uh, an ac- academic center. Um, I finished my fellowship in roughly 2007. Um, became double board certified by 2011. And so I guess I've been what you consider legit double board certified since then. So it, it was a long road, but I'm finally here. Lots of babies. I'm sure you've seen a longer yeah, way. Bit, yeah. So what yeah. attracted me to your story is that you had a, you know, babies later in mm-hmm. life. Can you tell me a little bit yeah. about your story, your path? Yeah. So, um, I, you know, trained for a long time. Uh, you know, you do four years of college, four years of med school, four years of residency, three years of fellowship. And I got to my mid thirties and I still was single and I around 36, 37, I was, you know, you know, if, if I don't find the right guy, that's fine. I'm not going to settle. If I don't have kids, that's fine too. And then of course I met my husband right after I turned 38 and he had just turned 38 as well. Um, we moved pretty quickly once we realized that we, uh, were the one, if you will. Um, so we were married by 39. Um, I tried to start, you know, get pregnant right away, ended up with a miscarriage, uh, through natural conception. Um, shortly thereafter, I just turned 40. Then we started having, uh, you know, some really deep thoughts. You know, I was 40 in con- con- uh, conversations. I was 40 and then we knew what their risk were. I did. So we went to talk to a fertility specialist friend of mine. And once he laid out the statistics and the fact that I was already 40 and had miscarriage that he recommend going through IVF. So we did that. And uh, little did we know we would be five cycles of IVF. And out of those five cycles, I ended up with 30 plus eggs ret- retrieved and only 16 embryos made it to the genetic testing phase. And out of that, uh, those 16, only one was genetically normal. Unfortunately, that transfer, the embryo did not take. So um, ultimately, between age around age 42, we opted to uh, try egg donor. And we ultimately did get pregnant with uh, uh, twins via egg donor. And I delivered about nine days shy of my 43rd birthday. And they are soon to be four years old. So uh, it was a long journey and uh, um, one that was not easy. But ultimately, you know, we did uh, uh, conceive, and I'm very grateful for the the technology that was there that allowed me to have my babies. 
to feel like that you've been through this, this huge cycle on your yeah. own, that you have mm-hmm. a little more, you can relate to what your, your, I would say students, but they're not students, they're patients. Well, patients. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, um, not so much because a lot of my patients don't, the fertility part is not their issue. What I can re- relate to them more deeply now on a deeper, deeper level, if you will, is, you know, my pregnancy was complicated. I ended up with a very short cervix at around 21 weeks, was in on hospital bed rest for two months oh, wow. um, and then delivered them um, because of a, a placental abruption at 31 weeks in one day. Um, I was actually hospitalized on the labor and delivery unit where I work uh, every day. Uh, the nurses that I had worked with for years uh, took care of me. The physicians that you know had trained me took care of me. So I definitely had a uh, much better appreciation for women who either had multiple gestations, delivered early, um, you know, were on hospital bed rest, had NICU babies. I experienced all of that. So um, that was very eye-opening to say the least. Mm -hmm. So I know that a lot of people, first of all, I'm so happy to hear that your babies are not babies, they're four. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. I mean, placental abruption at 31 weeks, that's that's significantly early. You know, most people, you know, if those that are listening don't realize, but you know, 37 or 42 weeks is kind of the gestation. 31 weeks is quite early. So that's, that's wonderful that they're, they're thriving. Mm -hmm. So I know a lot of people get really anxious about the idea about getting pregnant 35. I know for me, I met my husband right before 35 and Mm -hmm. babies were on my mind all the time. Babies. So, so I'm like, Oh my God, Oh my God. Kind of like what you said, like you knew it, you do it, you go. And you know, so I was really freaked out, but I also grew up hearing about my grandmother had my mom at 40. This was back in Mm -hmm. the forties. She thought she was going through menopause and she was Mm -hmm. pregnant. So I'd Mm -hmm. also heard that in my family. So I had kind of this idea of like, it can happen. Can you talk a little bit about the facts and myths about advanced maternal age? And I'll also say that I had my daughter at 40 and my son at 37. And mm-hmm. at 40, I did not love being called a geriatric pregnancy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about that. You know, um, there are some pretty uh, non, uh, unflattering names, or no, I wouldn't say names, uh, labels that are placed on women after age 35. And, you know, those have been around for a long time. And hopefully one day that'll change to something more more appealing, but you know, uh, it is what it is. Geriatric. I'm like, should I get my water and stroll in? (laughs) I know, right? Advanced maternal age. Then you have elderly prima gravida, elderly multigravida. I mean, elderly and geriatric. I mean, come on. You know, I, you know, the, the, the ways it is now is that women are delaying childbearing. Okay. Whether that be delaying to have, to have their first child later in life or, you know, having had children earlier in life and then, you know, having a, other children later in life, it is happening. We know that based on statistics and some of the data that's been recently presented. Um, you know, I think it's because women are pursuing other interests first, whether it be career, travel, uh, anything. You know, for me, it was awfully obviously career uh, driven, but it is becoming more of the norm. Now, it's not, you know, as common, but you know, we we hear more often in social media and on the media where women are having babies later in life. So, you know, I want women to know first of all that it's okay to delay childbearing so that you can do other things uh, um, before you are ready to have a family. As long as you're educated about what the risks are of delaying. For me, I was healthy. I had no medical conditions. I worked out all the time. I was of a healthy weight. I didn't have anything majorly genetic in my family. But unfortunately, my eggs were as old as I was, 40 plus years old. So as a woman ages, you know, in 
some women don't like to hear this, but it's truth. You know, you do have a decrease in egg quality, which means, you know, the chromosomes within that egg are older at that time. So it's decreased egg quality. Then you think about decreased egg quantity, the number of eggs that are available to be fertilized should you, you know, ovulate. And that is biologic. There's not a whole lot we can do to change that. Um, as long as you're informed and understand that you may have that risk, did I ever think that age 40, I would end up going through the, everything that I had to do. And I'm an OBGYN. I didn't expect it. And it happened to me. So, you know, as along the way, you just have to, you know, keep up with your well-woman exams. You have to, you know, uh, talk with your OBGYN about your family planning, uh, uh, what you're planning on doing as far as how long you need to wait and get some opinions along the way. If you're approaching age 35 and you're still not ready to have a child, talk to a fertility specialist, have your fertility assessed. Um, they can do that. Um, to see where you stand. Uh, it's nothing's ever a hundred percent, but at least, you know, where you stand and you can make plans. If you're planning on even delaying childbearing even further than that, consider egg freezing. So, you know, there's things that we can do now with the advances of technology, especially in the fertility arena that allow women to delay childbearing a little bit further. For me, using an egg donor was my option. And that even though that's still, you know, not really talked about as much, that is another option that, that is available, but you know, Going through IVF and egg donor and all of that, it, it's time-consuming, it's mentally and physically exhausting and emotionally, and it's expensive. So anything you can do to prepare yourself and be educated and informed about the potential consequences of delaying childbearing is, is in anyone's best interest. But again, I don't want women to think that you know they can't have babies later in life. There are plenty of women who do conceive naturally and do just fine, but there's also a lot of, particularly over age 40, that are using uh, assisted reproductive technology or ART in order to become pregnant. So we need to realize that as well. Are there any indications that one could start to think about, like, is if there's someone's cycle is very regular, is that yeah. something that can give a sense of like, Oh, yes. I have a higher chance. Cause I, mm-hmm. again, I, I, my friends and I haven't talked too much about it. What's interesting mm-hmm. is I've had a lot of friends actually at the IVF and I, I kind of kept my mouth quiet about how things went for me, but I'm going to out yeah. myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually got pregnant really easily. I did have two yeah. miscarriages, but I got pregnant past 37, mm-hmm. um, six times, um, mm-hmm. several miscarriages, but Mm-hmm. two healthy kids downstairs right. fighting right now. Um, but mm-hmm. <laughs> so what are some indications that just to help ease someone's mind again, I was that mm-hmm. crazy anxious person. I'm like, Oh my God, 35, it's gonna be crazy. You know, like, and it, and it worked out for me. So I don't want everyone yeah. to think like, Oh my gosh, past 35, go freeze your eggs. Like, are there right, certain right. things mm-hmm. that we can see? Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you think about your overall health in general, um, you think about any pre-existing medical conditions that could potentially affect your fertility. Smoking, of course, could always affect anyone's fertility, but especially if you're older. Um, uh, you know, you think about uh, what you could potentially do to. Everybody wants to always ask me, "What can you do to increase your fertility?" That's not a whole a whole lot you can do about that. It, it is what it is as far as whether or not you have eggs that are viable or not. The biggest thing that you hear about with women over age 35 is increased risk of pregnancy loss. And that's because of the, uh, like you said, you had multiple, you had several miscarriages and mm-hmm. a lot of women do, especially after age 37 and especially, especially after age 40, because even though that egg might be fertilized, the chromosomes within the egg and the, and the sperm, they do, don't join exactly right. And that's why a lot of women in that age group do experience a lot of first trimester losses. So, and that's purely based on the egg quality, meaning, like I said earlier about the genetics within that egg, the chromosomes just aren't what 
aren't dividing the way they're supposed to. So, you know, that is, you know, a fact and that does happen. And I know many women over age 35 who do go through, you know, several miscarriages before they actually successfully conceive on their own. So again, like you said, I don't want women to think that they can't do it, but you know, I just use myself as an example. I again, had no real risk factors other than my age. And, you know, it, even IVF, I would say, I, IVF didn't work for me. I had to end up using egg donor. So you just, you know, I wish there was a way we could go to a lab and take a test and say, you have this many eggs left and they are of this quality, but unfortunately that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we just have to be educated and informed. Yeah. So are there ways to increase one fertility? Like I, I read some books. I yeah. did, I did acupuncture. Yeah. I did some herbs. I read yeah. two books. One mm-hmm. was like, um, taking charge of your fertility. And yeah. then there was another, I can't remember the exact name, it was something like the three month plan to having babies. Mm-hmm. And I followed it to a T. Mm-hmm. We got pregnant our first time with my, mm-hmm. with my son at 37. So I, mm-hmm. I did credit to that. Maybe it was just luck. So let's start talking first non-pharmaceutical and yeah. then we can talk, as you mentioned, different medical modalities. Yeah. You know, you, you, the main two things I hear about for non-pharmacologic is, and again, we're going to talk about women over age 30. And, you know, I'm going to digress here for a second. You talked about some indications. You know, I I just want to mention before we get into this topic about your menstrual cycles. You know, um, having, if you're already having irregular menstrual cycles, that is a problem in itself. And that should be addressed at any age, but particularly after age 35 if you're wanting to get pregnant. So if that's the case, you need to be seen to to determine why you're not having regular menstrual cycles. So especially if you had them regular and then it stopped. you know, or if you've never had them, you need to be assessed to figure out why. Because if you're over age 35, especially over age 40, and trying to get pregnant, and you have irregular menstrual cycles, that can make it even more problematic. Um, so you had mentioned that earlier, and I just wanted to go back and touch on that. That the importance of knowing. You know, I always encourage patients, even earlier on, to do use a period tracker. There's plenty of apps now that are mm-hmm. available to you. Just put in, you know, when your start date was, when your end date was you know, what your flow was like, because it may not seem important now, but maybe down the road, it might become important. And then your doctor can look at what you've logged in your app and know what you've been, what, what your body's been doing. And that could actually help them. So I'm sorry. I just wanted to digress. A little no, bit I'm and, glad and you did. On that. Cause I forgot yeah. I did those things. I had yeah. some sort of tracker. I was taking yeah. my temperature. Yeah. It was quite the, it was quite the production. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, I mean, uh, people can get, or women can get is an, is, is involved with either what's online or the apps or, you know, the books as they, as they want to, because there's plenty of stuff out there. Now you, you asked me non-pharmacologic, you know, unfortunately, you know, the different herbs, you also hear about DHEA, even acupuncture, you know, the, the, the science behind it, the data that behind it, behind it is mixed. Okay. There's not been any one real study on anything non-pharmacologic that says that will, this will increase your fertility after age 35 or at any point. So I think the important thing is, I think, you know, every fertility specialist, every OBGYN who actually does, and there are all general OBGYNs who do do some fertility treatments or, you know, uh, talk to the patients about that. They have their things that they like. I, I just interviewed a fertility specialist not too long ago about a different topic, and she really recommends DHEA for women going through IV that are planning on going through IVF. What is that? Their, so it's it's a big long name. It's called dehydroepiandrosterone, and it's a hormone that's kind of a precursor to both estrogen and testosterone. And they don't know exactly how it works, but it could potentially increase uh, the egg count if you're going through uh, uh, IVF. But again, the data is also mixed. So I've I've found that some uh, fertility specialists like it, and some don't. 
don't use it. It just depends on what each individual likes. So don't be surprised if, you know, infertility specialist A says they they want you to take it and the next one may say they don't, um, again, because the data is mixed. So, you know, then we also think about acupuncture. Again, I used acupuncture and I went through five cycles of IVF, one donor egg transfer that fa- all failed. My last um, donor egg transfer I did IVF with and it was successful. Now, was it because of the acupuncture? I don't know. What I think personally about acupuncture, based on everything I've read uh, in regards to infertility and acupuncture, I think what it does help is the stress level. And for me, as a woman who had already been through all those fertility treatments that were unsuccessful, and as a physician in a demanding job, I definitely had stress. So I actually do. I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for acupuncture for fertility. Um, I do. I think that it actually helps the quality of the eggs. I don't, but I do think it helps the stress level, which really can be a factor in any woman trying to conceive. Um, so those, you know, those are really the only two non-pharmacologic things I, I would bring up because there really isn't anything, any real science behind anything else when it comes to increasing egg quality or quantity after age 35. Thank you. Yeah. I, my acupuncturist, I did, she gave me these, these herbs that literally taste like dirt. Like she literally goes yeah. out into her backyard yeah. and be like, here's some dirt, take it. And I'm yeah. like, sure. Okay. So who knows <laughs> if it was that or the placebo effect, but right. I did. I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I took them too. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm practice evidence-based medicine, but at that point I probably would have done anything anybody told me to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I understand that when women do that, what I will say though, is if you're under the care of any physician during this process, make sure they know everything you're taking. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that, you know, you might hear from friend, this friend or online that you should be taking this. If you decide to take it, or at least ask whoever's taking care of you during this, uh, this process, um, if you, they recommend it. So they at least know that what you're considering taking. Yes, absolutely. And so let's now shift gears to yeah. medical modalities. Cause I had a friend that did, okay, I think it's called, oh shoot. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think typically it depends on, uh, you know, how long someone has been trying, you know, without other factors being involved, like they don't have any real medical issues. Their thyroid's not an issue. Their uterus doesn't have uh, any anomalies. Their, their tubes are open, you know, no other reason why they can't get pregnant, you know, over age 35, one of the first things they'll go to is Clomid. And that, again, I'm not a fertility specialist. I deal with women once they're pregnant and I'm just basing this on what I, the general medical knowledge I have from being an OBGYN and going through it myself. It, it just helps to increase the ovulation when it's time for you to ovulate and it, which increases the number of eggs available that can be fertilized. So, um, Clomid's a lot of the times is the first line that some people will use again, assuming that everything else is okay. Um, but you know, if a woman's been trying generally, generally say over under age 35, if if you've been trying for a year, actively trying to get pregnant, um, and you have regular periods, then you need to seek help over age 35, anywhere between three, three, uh, three to six months, you know, some will say six months, some will say drop it down to three months after age 37. It just all depends. Um, you know, then you might need to seek help to see if there's any other cause, um, why you might not be getting pregnant. Um, but again, ART or assisted reproductive technology is the big umbrella that all these fertility treatments fall under. And there's so much available, even since I went through it, there's new techniques available. And I, I, you know, I was just reading up on one. I still don't understand it, but you know, there's tons of stuff that they, it's a, it's a lower cost I, uh, IVF. I'm not sure. Maybe you know about it, but, uh, I'm sorry, the name ex- escapes me, but that's a newer, t- a new technology too. So 
you know, you think about intrauterine insemination, Clomid, then IVF and other things in between. Um, and you but, mentioned one, one of my friends had like her tubes were flushed out. Like one tube right. was blocked. They inserted some sort of ink or something. So yes. Yeah, so or basically you think about, there's two things uh, in a fertility workup, a hysteroscopy is when they take a little, um, like a camera and, and inflate the uterus with water to see if the, what the lining of the uterus, the okay. cavity of the uterus looks like. And does, is there a septum there? Is there a fibroid that's under, you know, the, under the lining of the uterus? Is there any anomalies with the way the uterine, uterine cavity looks like? That's what the hysteroscopy does. What you're talking about is something called a hysterosalpingogram or HSG. Basically, that shoots dye into the uterine cavity, and you can you take images and you see if the dye spills out on each side from each tube, which is what it should do. If there's a tubal blockage, they can pick it up that way. So those are, and sometimes uh, when they do that, if there was a tubal blockage and the dye kind of pushes that blockage out, then women get can get pregnant after that if the tubal blockage was an issue. So that that is one of the things that the uh, the docs can do as well. So great to know there are so many other options because I know mm-hmm. I have some friends that, you know, they hit 35 and like, okay, I'm going to just start IVF now. I'm like, I think there are other things before you get there. Yeah, I, I think, and it's, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because um, IVF is so easy, easily accessible now. And I, I don't, uh, even though I've talked very openly about my story, and again, my story was an extreme one, you know, um, what I went through, but just because you hit 35 doesn't mean you need to make an appointment with the fertility specialist right away and start that cycle of IVF. Um, you know, unless there's some other reason to, there's a genetic condition where you need to do IVF or there's other something medically, a medical issue or uh, an issue with the uterus or the, you know, anything like that, which would require IVF to take place, you know, just talk to someone that you trust, whether it be an OBGYN or a fertility specialist and come up with a plan, you know, um, there, Every time a woman goes to fertility specialists, I hear all the time, they're just going to want to push IVF on me. And that's simply not true. I find that fertility specialists want to do what it takes to help a woman conceive, and whether that be the least invasive thing that works or the most invasive thing. So they really sit down and talk to you about you know your health history, history and other things to try to get other uh, methods uh, that might work for you before going to IVF. So what about some other benchmarks? Because I know 35 is the big one. Everyone's like, ah, what about 37, 40? Like, are, I'm assuming things just keep dropping off, but are there certain benchmarks? Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, I mean so basically you, you hit that. It's 35, 37, and 40. Is, oh, I'm glad you know, it starts okay. to decrease. You're very smart. <laughs> so yeah, age 35, it start, their fertility starts to decrease, both egg, due to egg quality and egg quantity. Then it takes another dive at 37 and it takes a nosedive at 40. That's the way I explain it. The nosedive occurs at age 40 uh, and then really, really just takes off after 45. So, you know, uh, just to put things in perspective, a woman at age uh, 30 uh, has per each normal menstrual cycle has a 20% chance of conceiving naturally. When you get to age 40, it's about 5% Mm. per cycle. So, and that's just natural conception. Okay. And again, I, I don't want to make women, women fearful. It's just that they have to understand what biology, what, you know, the biological restrictions are. Unfortunately, we are subjective to them, Mm -hmm. uh, subject to them, uh, men, not so much, but 
there is such thing as advanced paternal paternal age, but that's another podcast that, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, that, that does exist, you know, and we just, uh, we have to be aware, um, of what's going on. And especially if there's any, and I'm sure you, we'll talk about this later, but if you have medical conditions, uh, that you already know that you have, make sure they're well controlled, make sure you're at a healthy weight make sure that, you know, you're not smoking or doing other things that can affect your fertility that would further compound your difficulties in getting pregnant at, at a later age. Yeah. As, you know, blood pressure, all that stuff. Um, I yeah. want to talk a little bit about, this is my own personal experience. Again, mm-hmm. I already said 37 and 40 when I had my kids at so 37, right. we went in for the 12 week Nugal test and we had to go mm-hmm. with, um, some sort of specialist to explain the different tests that we had, op- you know, options mm-hmm. to do. And she had this little flip chart and she showed us, this was when I was 37, the first, like, here are your chances of, you know, chromosomal issues. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I was already pregnant. And then we mm-hmm. came back to the same person, the same little room when I was 40 with my daughter for the same test. And then she flipped it to <laughs> the 40 and she's like, yeah. and here are your, here are your chances. First of all, I was yeah. already pregnant. So yeah. I felt like, it could have been done a little bit differently and shouldn't these things, I don't know. I'm not sure how to, how someone would do it, but it seemed very scary right it, then it, and there. It, no, it is. And that's, that's a difficult part. Listen, you probably went to, was it was a geneticist that you went yes, to. Yes, or yes, yes, yes. She yes, was just yes, part, yeah. like it wasn't a separate appointment. It's just like we had the yeah. nuclear test, but first we talked to the geneticist and then we go in for the test, but it just the way it was delivered, it's like I was already 12 weeks pregnant. Yeah, so. you know, and, <laughs> but my, and I, I understand. Now, so there's some people that are much better at delivering that kind of information more gingerly than others, but there's really no easy way to deliver that. You know, you have to inform the patient, you know, that's what they're there for is genetics, genetics counseling based on their age. I mean, and it's, I, when I saw the stats, I don't know if they could have served it on a silver platter with rose petals. <laughs> I still would have been freaked. I mean, yeah, I guess you're I'm right. OBGYN, you know, I'm an OBGYN and I, I was supposed to know about this stuff and it still freaked me out. So, you know, I, I, I will defend the medical professionals to some degree because I really think it's a hard, it's hard counseling a woman about that particular aspect, the genetics component and the increased risk for having a baby with chromosomal anomalies or pregnancy loss or which could result in pregnancy loss. It's really not easy. It's going to be hard no matter what. You're right. It's it's going to be hard. Yeah. So we'll defend them a little bit. Although I will say that there's probably, you know, softer (laughs) Softer in some ways. So yeah, I I get you. So let's talk also about prenatal care Mm -hmm. as someone gets older, because I said, like, I didn't really see any difference between 37 and 40. They treated me Mm -hmm. the same. And also just give you a little background. I had an OB and a midwife and they never... They never once treated me like I was an old lady. So, yeah. but maybe that's, they were being different with me. I don't know. What's, what, what are your thoughts? So I, I, I find that, um, how can I, I, I should know, sorry, but remind me what area of the country you're in. Oh, New York. Yeah. I was going to say, I bet you're in New York <laughs> because I am just, I will, unfortunately it does vary across the state, uh, across the nation on how, uh, advanced maternal age women are approached. Okay. Um, I, I know in California, it's, it's kind of similar to how New York is as far, as far as how they treat, uh, women of advanced, especially over age 40. And in some areas of the country, they are getting gazillion tests just because they're of their age alone, even if they don't have any other medical issues. So it is kind of geographical. I will say that. But for me, I mean, I'm, I'm in the South and I will tell you that, uh, and I'm a woman who deals with high, take care of deals with high risk, high risk pregnancies. I had a high risk pregnancy. 
basically the first hurdle when let's just talk about a woman over age 37 to 40. The first hurdle they have to get through is the antenatal screening to see what the risk is of having genetic defects, okay? Or a baby, the most common one we think of as trisomy 21. You know, once that's cleared up, then the next thing is you get your anatomy scan at, say, 18 to 20 weeks. Mm-hmm. Once that's cleared up and we we are confident that, you know, we're pretty certain that everything is okay in that regard, as long as she's healthy weight, otherwise healthy, not a smoker, no true uh, med- pre-existing medical conditions, or she might have something, but it's well controlled and was well controlled before she got into the pregnancy. She can be managed pretty much as any other patient with the knowledge that based on age alone, even in the healthiest 40 year old, even in the healthiest 37 year old women that are pregnant at advanced maternal age are at increased risk for certain things. And a lot of women don't like to hear this, but it's true. You already increased risk for pregnancy loss, and we already discussed that. But again, once you get past the antenatal screening and you make it to 18 to 20 week scan, and that looks okay, then that hurdle's kind of crossed. But after that, you are at increased risk for diabetes, high blood pressure, and subsequently preeclampsia, having preterm birth, which could ultimately lead to low birth weight baby because it's preterm, um, cesarean delivery, and placenta previa. Those are the main things that a woman, based on age alone, is an increased risk for as an advanced maternal age woman. Oh, I'm so interested. So, Can I ask one thing? So everything yeah, sure. else made total sense, but mm-hmm. placenta preview, first of all, for mm-hmm. those that are listening, maybe like, I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. It's when the, yeah. the placenta is covering the cervix, but so interested. Why would previa yeah. be yeah. something? So, yeah. So, you know, the, I, I, I don't know. Okay. I appreciate I your honesty. Knows, <laughs> but I will, I will tell you that I personally think it's because of the age of, you know, the uterus is not, um, um, beholden to the same uh, age constraints that the eggs are. For example, that's why women who are in their 60s and even we've heard of 70s in other countries got pregnant and carried babies in their uterus because the uterus doesn't have the time stamp that the ovaries do. But I do think there's something to be said with a woman at 40 getting pregnant. They, maybe it's that the the placenta just doesn't implant ideal in the ideal position that it wouldn't, that it normally would. It gets a little so saggy. Good, <laughs> does, that? does the just get a little saggy? <laughs> no, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I just, I just think, I mean, you've had 40 years, you know, we'll say 30, 25 to 30 years of periods of menstrual cycles. And, you know, it's a 40 year old year. I, I'm just hyped. I'm just saying yeah, that no, it's just so interesting. Like everything you know, so else I, made I, sense. I wish I had an answer. Yeah. Every, and I, I'm I, like, previa. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. So, yeah. Um, so no, I wish I had a, a really uh, sexy answer for you on that one. That's okay. <laughs> so all right, so everything's going well. Someone's had their you know their anatomy scan, either 16, 18, 20 weeks, somewhere in there, going well. And then how does that affect? And I've had students say, "Oh, my care provider wants to induce me early. I'm you know I'm 37. I'm high risk." Does someone just because they're 30 plus 35 have to be labeled high risk, even if everything else is? totally fine. So I, I still label them as high risk because I, it just tells, I'm I'm not, I don't, first of all, I don't want to label anybody. I mean, that sounds so terrible to label somebody, but in my mind, uh, even though everything, she has no significant preexisting medical conditions. Um, you know, she's otherwise the baby's growing fine. Uh She's having everything fine. I still need to know and keep in the back of my mind that she's at increased risk for these certain things based on her age alone. We, we, we shouldn't ignore that. Okay. And I need to be prepared for that. Um, but as far as, am I going to deliver her early? If she's otherwise uncomplicated, am I going to 
make her have a C-section? Am I going to, you know, tell her you are, you know, or a ticking time bomb? No, I'm not going to tell her that. And, you know, in an otherwise uncomplicated, and I'll just use 40, 40 year old pregnancy who's been doing beautifully all along, 39 weeks and above is fine, you know, and try for a vaginal delivery unless she's had a previous, previous C-section or needs a C-section for any other reason. So, you know, I, so you I, don't be I back don't, after for older parents. No, no, wait, no. Let me back up. Okay. Yes, absolutely. We do VBACs all the time. I'm just saying, unless she needs a C-section for whatever other oh, reason, it, like, it, you know, it. there are some women who uh, have gone through fertility things and had fibroids removed. That's one right. a common thing. They had fibroids removed and entered the uterine cavity. If that happens, then you need to have a C-section. You should not labor. Okay. Yep. Or if they had a, a big septum removed and, you know, you think about those things that, you know, there are things that happen like that, that would require that you have to have a C-section for instead of laboring. And that's just to prevent the risk of uterine rupture. But yes, I, in my practice, we routinely do offer uh, a TOLAC or a trial labor after cesarean for women with a prior C-section if they are good candidates. And uh, that's a whole other topic as yeah, well. That, I know. Always we won't to, yeah. This is, I'm finding I, this I, really I interesting. For that. Absolutely. I am an advocate for that and the right candidate. And we have ways that we try to determine um, to, to the best of our abilities who's a good candidate. And we counsel our patients that way. This is so interesting. Okay. We're going to take a super quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the actual birth for someone that I'm going to put again in those quotes because I'm kind of having fun with this now, (laughs) a geriatric, geriatric pregnancy. Okay. We'll be right back. Okay. So let's talk about, we've done a great, you've done an excellent job and thank you so much for sharing all this information. We've been talked about like the prenatal care would differ, but what about the actual birth itself? Is there anything different about how the birth process is going to go? No, there, there is nothing different, nothing. I'm not going to, you know, monitor, monitor them any differently. I'm not going to do anything differently than I would anybody else. The only thing is that there is that in slight increased risk of needing a cesarean de- uh, delivery based on either arrest of labor for whatever reason or for fetal indications. And uh, it's not like it's a gazillion fold increased risk, but, you know, women of advanced maternal age or extremes of age, I should say, uh, are at increased risk for cesarean section. So that's the case. It, but again, I would allow any woman you know, to labor over age 40, you know, as long as, you know, that's what's uh, indicated. What, it, what what's the reasons, I don't know if you know them off the top mm-hmm. of your head, why mm-hmm. someone is at an increased risk for a cesarean birth above 40? Yeah. That's another, another thing, you know, that's based on all the studies that have been done, you know, on women in this age group. Um, we don't really know why. Is it uh, because of the pelvis? It's, is it because of something else? I mean, is it because they have more of a fetal indication? We, we haven't really been able to tease that out. I don't know that we would because there's so many confounding factors in any kind of study you would do to try to, to, to answer that question. But we just know that you know there is a slightly increased risk that a woman in that age group would require cesarean, del- especially over age 40. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I don't know that we'll ever get a real clear-cut answer on that. Uh, it's hard to study those types of things. This is so interesting. So you mentioned mm-hmm. some of the risks, like um, higher chance of preeclampsia. Are there mm-hmm. any other risks that somebody that they're above 35 should consider or think about? Like, is there increased gestational diabetes? I'm throwing that out. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the, the main things I had mentioned were diabetes and high blood pressure. And okay. then, you know, if you have either one of those, that increases your risk of preeclampsia. You know, mm-hmm. having diabetes increases your oh, risk of preeclampsia Oh, can you explain well. preeclampsia for those that yeah. are like, I've heard this word, but I don't know what it means. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So preeclampsia is a, a high blood, or blood pressure disorder of pregnancy. It typically occurs after 20 weeks of pregnancy, and it includes elevated blood pressures and some form of damage to one or more organs. Typically, you think of the kidneys first, where you can start spilling protein, uh, the liver which the liver can uh, have elevated liver enzymes or a liver function test. Um, women can have a headache because it can affect the way I describe preeclampsia. It kind of affects the organs that have the smallest blood vessels, which be the kidneys, the liver, the brain, because women can get headaches that way. Um, and the placenta for sure. So the placenta is a bed full of small vessels. So a woman with high blood pressure and subsequently preeclampsia, the placenta can be inf affected and the baby may have some growth issues. So, you know, uh, preeclampsia is a serious condition and mm -hmm. it's only occurs in pregnancy. The, the way to cure it. I thought it can be after pregnancy too, like right after well, birth. Well, so to me, I mean, yeah. So postpartum, in the postpartum period, you can, okay. uh, you can have postpartum preeclampsia. So there's women who had preeclampsia in pregnancy got delivered, it clears up. They can also develop it again or have a resurgence of it in the postpartum period. Then there's women who delivered, didn't have it, and then represent in the postpartum period with preeclampsia. So it, yes, it can occur any, you know, after 20 weeks of pregnancy and then even in the postpartum period, up to six weeks, but typically within the first two weeks. Um, yeah. So in, it's a... These are we significant do, higher risk. I mean, is it how, like, how, how, let me back up and say, how yeah. much higher risk is there? Like, do you know the percentage? There, I mean, there's not a percentage. A it's more about the high, uh, hypertensive disorders. It's just, you know, you think about you know, women who are pregnant or as women age, they're increased risk for developing medical conditions in general. You know, pregnant women are no exception. So um, there are a lot of women who actually enter pregnancy, especially after age 40, with already having high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. And even if it's well controlled, which is great, they're still an increased risk for developing preeclampsia, more so if their blood pressure is uncontrolled. So, um, but even if they don't have it, they can still develop high blood pressure in pregnancy um, in the form of preeclampsia. I love that you're just laying it out just like the fact that <laughs> I, I actually really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to shift to something because you and I are what I'd call, and I put it in my quotes when I wrote up the notes, older mothers. Um, yeah. What's been your experience as an older mother, if you don't mind sharing that a bit? So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have anything to compare it to because uh, I had my first, uh, I had my twins and I was a first time mom at almost 43. Um, I mean, I think there's definitely benefits. I think being more financially stable, because I, I think about myself, you know, 20 years ago when I was 26, being more financially stable um, uh, definitely means something. Having more patience as much as I can sometimes, cause they're almost four. And sometimes I, you know, that's kind of hard. Um, you know, having more life experiences. I mean, I have traveled the world. I, you know, have a lot, I feel like I can teach them. My husband and I are both travel addicts and that's something that we want to, you know, to share with them. Um, you know, that is always a positive, but, you know, I also think that I don't have as much energy, you know, I'm, we just tried to, or we did teach them how to ride bikes this weekend. And I thought I was going to die because I was trying to run <laughs> behind them. I mean, it's I, I, tw 20 years ago, I would have had a lot more energy, you know? So you, you think about just the normal day-to-day -day stuff as being an older mom for me. Um, but I do think also, despite the fact that it's becoming more common, um, there are things that are said um, about being a mom in this, this age, I get a lot of, well, you know, you're going to die by the time they're in graduate high school. I mean, you know, people can be very, uh, crude sometimes, but, um, you know, overall it's been a very positive experience for me. I've had lots of support from my family and friends and, um, I think they're well adjusted. I think we've, my husband and I have done a very good job of trying to, you know, make sure that we're, you know, 
taking into consideration, you know, sometimes our lack of energy level when they're little and, you know, may finding ways to make up for that. Uh, what is your experience? What do you think? Well, I am also 46. So we are pretty much yeah. in the same place. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I liked having my kids older again. I, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't have younger ones and like a break, but mm-hmm. there, I agree with you. I really enjoyed traveling. We traveled mm-hmm. a ton and we just don't travel quite the same. They're a mm-hmm. handful. They're six yeah. and eight. And, you know, if we did, I had these ideas, I had grand ideas when I was pregnant, like, Oh, totally. we're going to travel all around Europe with our babies. And that we would basically just be finding playgrounds in different countries. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced. Yeah. <laughs> Or different well, it's funny you say that because we took them to Par- to France last year, and that's all we did. I mean, Playgrounds? we literally went to every playground that was in probably France. in Paris. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we saw every single playground. I mean, it was fun. It's just a different way to travel. I mean, it was it's not what it, Yeah, we're not doing the wine tastings that we did before. Right? I know. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, there's something I do like about being an older mom. I got the traveling in. I like to think I have a little bit more maturity and insight yeah. to who I am. And yeah. by that, like, there's, I talked to my mom about this because she had... Uh, my brother and she was 27 and me at 30. So really almost a 10 year difference like 37 and 40. And Mm -hmm. what she talked about is she sees in me being a little more confident of who I am as a person, a little Mm -hmm. more grounded and just a little more life experience. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to have that conversation with you because we do have people out there that get anxious. Like I'm hitting that. Is it, you know, there can be great benefits to being an older parent. Um, so I just wanted to, I just wanted to have that conversation. No, well. I definitely think the the good far far outweighs any bad. Whether the bad is coming, what your own uh, doubts are might might be about being an older parent or what society puts upon you. And society does put a little bit on you uh, being an older parent. I mean, I do get some looks when I go to the playground. Well, you're also in Texas. I mean, I think things are a little different there than New York city. Yeah. No, I, I, again, it goes back to the geographic. I mean, I hear, and I, I have women all, all across the, the, the country reach out to me and women in this area of the country don't experience the same things that, uh, women in uh, your area do, or especially in California. It's, it's much more common and much more accepted. And, and that's fine. You know, maybe I'll be the one to teach them, Absolutely. you know, yes, you will. You know, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll do that. You know, it's, it's fine. You know, I think, um, again, like I said, the, the good far outweighs any bad. I think for me though, the, the most difficult part is, um, I spent a lot of time in my career and I have a very wonderful career and I've worked very, very hard and I, it's still a very demanding career. My hardest, the hardest part for me has being a, being able to, being able to be a mom to little kids in a career that's so so demanding. Mm-hmm. And it's been a struggle at times. Um, sometimes I wish that I was in a career that wasn't as demanding, but I also love what I do. And I know that I do a lot of good for women and especially women that are in high risk pregnancies. So I, as long as I feel that I'm still successful at work and doing a good job and, you know, doing the best I can for my patients, I know that my kids one day will understand. Uh, although they, they're just now asking, they're, they're starting to understand the whole pregnancy thing. So they think that I I'm physically delivering all the babies at the hospital. 
<laughs> so I haven't, I haven't got to explain that to them yet, but you know, I think they're starting to get it and you know, uh, one day they'll understand. They're actually, I don't remember they study exactly, but for boys, especially that see a mother figure working full time is actually supposed mm-hmm. to help them later in life, respect women more and respect and support yeah. their partner. So I offer you that because I, yeah. <laughs> my kids see me working around the clock and I think yeah. it's going to hopefully show them that I love what I do and that yeah. I respect what I do and that I hope that they then take that for when they're looking for careers to find something they love to do. Are we going to take one more break? And when we come back, you've got a, you've worked with new and expectant parents for a long time. If you can mm-hmm. think of one tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer a new and expectant parents, we'll be right back. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. All right, we are back. So if you can think of one tip or piece of advice or anything that I didn't ask you before that you're like, oh, I should have talked about something. So, you know, we've talked about women over age 35, and I always, always bring this up any chance I get. And especially over 40, you know, there is a lot of fear that can be put into these women, whether it's on from friends, family, you know, social media. And there's a lot of positive too, but there's also a lot of scary things. I want women to know that, you know, it's still possible to have a healthy pregnancy and a healthy baby, even if you do have medical conditions or other things, as long as, you know, you're getting your prenatal care and, and trying to get those conditions under control as best as possible. But I want women to make sure they bond with their babies. I have to admit, when I was on hospital bed rest for two months, I was so scared I was going to lose them that for a while I didn't bond with my babies when I was pregnant. And I mm-hmm. still regret that to this day. I understand why I didn't, because I was afraid that I wasn't going to take them home. And there's a lot of women in my, in my age group that go through complications such as that, but we got to make sure we still bond, you know, when we're pregnant, even though we may be high risk for whatever reason or, or having a complication. So that's my one thing that I would say to women in this age group, especially after having gone through, for those of us that have gone through multiple cycles of IVF and we have that fear there constantly. Uh, does that make any sense? Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. I yeah. didn't, honestly, that wasn't even on my radar. So I appreciate yeah. that you put that out there. Yeah, no, I think it's important. And as far as new parents, I think um, you have to remember uh, for any couple that has a new baby at home, yes, that baby absolutely comes first. There's no question and, and rightfully so. But you guys still need to take care of each other mm-hmm. and take care of yourself because um, I for myself and I, this is from my own personal experience, not as being a physician, you know, two months of bed rest, then six weeks in the NICU. And then a month later I had to go back to work. And in some ways it's been four years and I'm probably still recovering in some ways physically from that. So you got to make sure that you take care of yourself and give each other time. And, uh, you know, especially for that new mom, you know, partner, if you're listening, give her the okay to go take some time for herself so that she can just clear her head, you know, do what she needs to do to get some personal time because your personal, you know, physical and mental health is so important. Yes. I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I 100% believe that. Oh, yeah. thank you. That was so good. Where can people find your work? 
So I think the easiest place to find me would be on Instagram. On Instagram at Babies After 35, I have a link tree, which I love. I just found it. Um, and that link tree is in my uh, bio and my Instagram, and you can go to all my other social media sites. I do have a YouTube channel and Facebook and all that. But you could just, if you just go to my Instagram, Babies After 35, and click on the link in the bio, you can find all my other stuff. Yeah, and your website's pretty good too. So don't, yeah. don't be shy about letting yeah, people yeah, know about but that. You know, honestly, people, most people get through anything through Instagram. That's especially my an age group. For my age group on social media, the most women that follow me are 35 to 44. And they're mostly you know, finding me through Instagram. That's true. Well, it has been so lovely talking to you. I know you were crazy busy, so I appreciate you giving me a little Mm -hmm. bit of time. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right. Be well. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.